Hi, it's Dustin Lanier. Thanks for listening. Please find me on LinkedIn for original public sector operations content every week. And please reach out to me if I and my team of procurement professionals at Civic Initiatives can help you be a public procurement change agent. We're going to talk today about navigating staffing constraints. And I'm, my name is Dustin Lanier. I'm a CPPO. I was with the state of Texas for 13 years, and I have a company now called Civic Initiatives. And on this panel, we have an August group who's going to help me talk about staffing constraints. I don't really like the setup of this. It feels like we're doing a game show or, <laughs> you know, or Catch-24. So could you guys introduce yourselves? Sure. I'll start. So I'm Angelique Davis. I'm the Director of Purchasing at Mount San Antonio College. Great. Good afternoon. Jennifer Alford, Director of San Joaquin Delta College. And Secretary Treasurer. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, good afternoon. I'm Teresa Robinson-Harris. I'm the Director of Procurement Services at the University of San Diego. So we're going to talk today about how to deal with some of the staffing issues that maybe some of you guys are having. Maybe some of you guys are completely replete, so we can talk through some of that. And then how people are trying to think about recruiting and retention and picking up some of the characteristics and maybe filling gaps. I've done a lot of presentations on this kind of thing. So I'm gonna excerpt a couple of slides from that, not to preempt the panel, but hopefully to tee up. And then I have a set of questions for them. And then I only have four or five of these. A lot of people who might have been eligible to retire during COVID didn't leave during COVID because COVID was a supply chain emergency. So a lot of people who delayed retirement or who, stu who stood in, now that the situation has changed, there are a lot of people who are choosing to retire. So we really are seeing that gray tsunami. And now as government is saying, everybody come back, it's created a small crisis in the sense that there are procurement jobs that are virtual and some people are making choices on what they do and how they spend time, spend their time. So overall, there was a heavy market. And I think there's several factors that drove procurement in the short term. And I wanna ask the panel about their thoughts on it. The last speech thing from mine, the other factor is different things are going to motivate different generations. I know you can't read those words. I'll share the slide if it's there. So there are baby boomers on the left. They're going to value job security. Our Gen X is going to be you know, the first generation that, uh, out of these that was really saying work-life balance is important. Gen Y wants flexibility and freedom. And Gen Z is looking for their new experiences and the rest. And then the people on the left came to technology. The people on right grew and or grew up with technology. So if all the people on the left are making the work for all the people on the right, it's going to have impact on the kind of jobs that people are going to be willing to do or be willing to take. So it's really important to understand that we're going to have to have generational shifts on what these jobs are. So let me ask the panel to jump in, talk about the environment that you're dealing with. What is your overall staffing environment today? So I'll start. I have not been fully staffed the entire time I've been at Mount San Antonio College. It's been about a year and a half, but we've been dealing with staffing challenges, just getting people to return from the pandemic. So I started there in July of 2021. The college returned to campus, made a return to campus on July 1st, 2021. And of course, that was challenging. So we had those who had accommodations, so they didn't necessarily have to return to the office environment. We had people who decided to retire. So at this point, I'm currently recruiting for positions, and it's just been an ongoing challenge. We have uh, some who, you know, who have expedited their retirement or gone on to some type of extended leave. Um, one thing that we have done is we've 
we started to utilize the staff extension services that Civic Initiatives offers. So to fill my gaps, uh, what I'm doing is I'm using Civic Initiatives strategically on specific projects because they have staffing that is all public procurement professionals. And so uh, having that experience, as you guys all know, when you have uh, projects that can't stop, that are, you know, very high dollar value, specifically our construction projects, um, that we are not able to just fill with someone who's in the training process, it's been extremely valuable for us. So that's how we're currently filling our gaps while we uh, recruit. And so I actually have two jobs that all will be closing this week, one today and one uh, the 12th. So we'll see how my uh, my recruitment pool is. Maybe somebody in the room, you know? <laughs> she, sa- she sounds pretty poised, guys. So Jennifer, what's sure. just an overview on your, just your overall staffing situation? We'll have other questions later. So just kind of what's going on for you. So since 2019, I went to, I'm gonna talk from two perspectives. I was at the city of Stockton in 2019. And then I recently started at San Joaquin Delta College in August of 22. In both environments, I walked into staffing where about 50%, anywhere from 50% to 60% of the team was completely gone. And then within about a month or so, those that were thinking about it also left. And so my entire responsibility when I started the position was not only to get to learn the organization and the agency, but to focus immediately on recruiting. And how did I do that? I partnered with Human Resources and tried to identify the different paths that I could take in order to start recruiting and then also looking internally at how I could retain and possibly pull from within and some other different avenues at the college where we do some partnerships and internships. So um, there's a few options out there that we've exercised depending on which agency I was with. And I'll talk a little bit more about them as we go through the questions. Teresa, yep. Uh, University, you you potentially have different kind of resources you can pull from. Yes. So go ahead. So um, I've been at the University of San Diego for five years now. And um, when I went into the university, we were very transactional. So it was just purchase orders, um, mainly, you know, back end function. Um, I was brought in to kind of transform the procurement organization. And so I've been working on that for a while now. And so we created some new positions one being a strategic sourcing and contracts management position. One was a vendor management position. Um, we have an e-procurement position. We have several positions um, that have been open now for several months. Even though they're, they're posted on um, other, you know, maybe three or four different professional organization boards, I've only received maybe eight applications for each of those positions, six on one, eight on one, maybe four on the other one. And so it is a a real challenge in in this environment to recruit people, especially people with experience in our field. And I have used a number of um, different resources to try and fill the gaps in the meantime. Um, I use students. We have a lot of students on campus that are available to do internships. Um, within our departments. I also use faculty quite a bit, faculty with experience in supply chain management. And of course, these guys, I've reached out to um, certain um, purchasing groups that we're under and uh, try to utilize the different uh, contracts that are available to us for extension of staff um, to help fill some of the gaps as well. 
So let's go through some stages. Let's talk about your, your, the folks you have today, your internal folks, or maybe people, you know, when we did a, we did an assessment for a state once where they had a whole pool of people who, um, they were described as, as an, as an admin pool, but in effect, they were actually doing procurement. It's just, they weren't described that way, right? So anybody doing anything to try to, to develop talent from within, because it's hard when you are, when you're drowning or you are very transactional and you just got to get things going to try to find the opportunities to teach. You know, I, when I did an interview with uh, Jen Myers in, um, in Tucson, she talked about how important shadowing was for them to try to give people some exposure to stuff, even if they weren't all the way there yet. So let's just focus on the people that you have. How do you try to develop that talent from inside? So when I arrived at Delta College, we had just gone through a reclassification. The team were classified as buyers. And um, what was determined was in order to elevate them and broaden their scope, we changed the title and revised the job description so they could be procurement specialists. And then we created a deep class through a senior supervisor. And um, that's been where my focus has been since I arrived because they were performing different levels of work, and so we have done, made sure that they're connected through different trainings, whether it's through capital or other purchasing associations. We do internal trainings because we all bring different levels of expertise. Um, I definitely always will build redundancy into the team, so if I see one person is strong, create an environment where it's safe and have some coaching experiences. Um, so one, if one is strong, let's the other staff member who needs some further development and their strengths in different areas. And so for me, it's always important to try and keep things very even killed so we can all have a good time while we're at work. And so it was also important for me to create team collaboration with the team that I had. So when I did have new hires enter the environment, they felt that we were cohesive, worked well together, and then they could go to either person and there would be consistency because that was the other challenge is that different staff were giving different messages. So those are just a few things that I've done. So yes, um, I also have had some of the same strategies that I've um I've, I've rolled out like Jennifer has. I also switched the commodities on our buyers who have been doing those same commodities for many years. And I have uh, several staff positions. I have buyer, senior buyer, procurement specialists, and each of them had specific commodities that they would work on. Additionally, building in those SOPs that didn't exist. So there is consistency, as Jennifer mentioned. Um, we didn't have those SOPs. So as we went through processes, I was like, record those processes that you're doing. Take screenshots and then we'll clean them up. But um, that's really important. And we're still developing those. Um, but, you know, when we do bring staff on, additional staff, I want to have a starting point for them to be able to review. Um, we also did utilize resources we have in the college. So we had uh, student workers that I've been utilizing, as well as employees from other divisions who express interest in procurement. So uh, I worked out something. I don't know how, but <laughs> I worked out something with another manager where he gives me his staff for half a day. And we opened that up amongst anyone, you know, on campus who was interested to come and do some cross training if they're interested and their manager would allow it. Another thing that we haven't implemented yet, but I hope to do, is we recently have um, developed a supply chain program at our college. And so tapping into the students in the supply chain program and giving them internship opportunities is another 
another dream of mine to be able to do eventually. And that works because we do have a supply chain management program and that's where we get our interns from for procurement. But there's also something else that we've started doing um, at my university. Um, we were very decentralized and so we had buyers within each college that were um, buying different things. IT um, was one of the departments that wanted to um, be involved with um, procurement on a more um, at a more at a higher level and so we went around and selected category managers from within the departments to devote to manage specific items specific category of items and then we train them so we are training our the buyer within our IT department outside of procurement to be our IT category manager and that person also reports into procurement it's a shared uh, type of reporting structure they report to me within procurement and also to the IT um, director as well. So we have several of those category managers across campus assisting procurement, even though they don't sit directly within procurement. And that helps. Have you guys been able to implement either remote or hybrid or flex so that somebody could work a period of time and then be off? I mean, it, it, it is a thing. And, and sometimes for both government in general and then um, the higher ed uh, variants of things who say, hey, the teachers are here, why can't procurement be here? There are culture shifts sometimes on getting people to understand. It directly affects that chart that I showed with the boomers down to Gen Z. It affects our ability to attract the next generation into procurement and to avoid a crisis of not enough people in this profession. So, so why don't you guys carry on if you guys are doing anything with hybrid or flex or, or remote or the willingness to consider it? We allow three days on campus, two days remote. So um, my staff and, you know, if somebody needs an extra day remote, so if they have to work three days from home and two on campus any given week, we allow that as well. Um, we're quite flexible there. For new hires, um, we try to encourage that, at least that flexibility as opposed to completely remote. Um, and I've had a lot of people turn that down. They want to work remotely. Where I'm at now, speak there, they want everyone back. And because that has not happened yet, they're not ready to move in a new direction because they want that to be solved first. It's, it is a struggle because we have our staff saying, well, I can work from home and have a job in San Diego doing the exact same thing and make more money. But I think the interest is definitely there, but we have a road ahead of us before it actually happens. Mount Sac, we were in the same boat months ago. Our president and board of trustees was not comfortable with the idea of not having everyone return to campus. They required that everyone return to campus. They wanted to see a higher percentage of return before they were interested in actually negotiating that portion. And if you think about it, a lot of us are making heavy investments in our campuses already. There's a lot of bond money, a lot of construction, like I talked about previously. So the challenge is they want people to return and utilize those facilities that we're building, right? And if they don't see staff there, they think that they're not going to have students there. But we have quite the opposite where our faculty is able to work from home. Mm -hmm. So we have staff <laughs> because they're teaching remotely, right. a lot of them. The classes have shifted. And maybe also your services if you're at a municipality, because I used to work for City of Moreno Valley. And we put a lot of things online and made things available online 
municipality-wise as well. So now our services are shifting to being able to be done remotely. So it's it's that balance, and hopefully we'll all get there at some point, but it's going to take time. I was just going to add that we lost a lot of staff initially um, when we returned from after, well, um, we had two years working from home, and then um, one day our president said, everybody need to return to campus. And we lost so many people that they had to have a conversation around around it because a lot of the Gen Zers um, really don't want to be on campus. They want to have that flexibility to work from home. And so they decided that, you know, it is going to have to be an option. And so that's why we were presented with this hybrid schedule, three days on campus, two days from home with the flexibility that if within the different departments, somebody need to make changes any given week, you know, where they have to work more days from home and, and fewer days on campus, we could go ahead and do that. So I do see um, a lot of challenges there. And um, we did have um, an opportunity where we, because we have such a small campus and space is so limited, we presented even that issue of spacing and parking as a reason to allow more people procurement people to work from home because we can do pretty much everything that we're doing in the office from our home computers. And our productivity actually went up during COVID. It didn't go down. So we use that data to try to convince them, you need space, take our office spaces because we really cannot fit in the space that they gave us, especially with the addition of the new positions that that our president authorized. And so we've approached them saying, use the space, allow us to work from home, um, you don't need to provide us with parking spaces anymore. So students could use those parking spots now. And um, you could use our office spaces for more classroom activities, theater, or whatever it is, if needed. And that um, resonates with them. They're actually looking at all this feedback that we're giving them and all these options as a, as a result of, you know, all the changes that are being requested by um, the folks who we're trying to um, attract that are not wanting to be on campus five days a week. So just wanted to add that. So we've talked some recruiting, we've talked some internal training, some retention. Let's talk about some program design stuff before we talk about augmentation. So, you know, one of the people in the audience said, so does this mean more with less kind of stuff, right? So before we accept more with less, sometimes there's a question of, especially if we're in a purchasing heavy environment where there's lots of little requisitions. And I'm not saying, I don't know y'all shops well enough to know whether you are or aren't, but sometimes we can be on a real hamster wheel and forget that we have the ability to design the wheel. We've done assessments all around the country and we've been in a lot of shops where procurement hasn't felt like they could initiate creating a contract set. Now you're doing category management, so therefore you are. But sometimes the sense is, well, the contracts come from the departments, but if procurement can say, wow, this is the, 40th catering bid we've done this year, why don't we set up a master services contract for catering so that then all these things go into a task order and then we can get back a whole person or janitorial services or whatever. So if we do have to manage a, a rising set of work and maybe you know the staffing line can't move as fast as the work, maybe it's incumbent on us to think about like what is the work of procurement? Is there anything that we can redesign? Can we make use of cooperative contracts in certain areas instead of just rebidding something to save like slightly more money, but we did it at the cost of like a whole whatever. Anybody doing anything to try to think about the design of work to change up the models of the kind of staffing that you need? Yes, and I hope I don't jump ahead because I feel like this is good. I'm probably gonna go towards your next question, <laughs> but 
in order to have that data, sometimes we don't have the ERP system to provide us with the data that we need, right? One thing that we've been looking at and trying to uh, work towards implementing are changes in our procurement software. So utilizing e-procurement solutions that can help give us a better idea of that data and what we can be doing, as well as tapping into the cooperatives we already know that we have and and looking at, you know, just repetitive things that we see, but we don't necessarily, I have a very old antiquated system. And with that, that system, you know, I'm very limited in the information that I can collect. So uh, what we have been doing is just working on implementing softwares that are going to assist us with making that that cycle better and gathering that data. So one of the softwares, there's more than one type of e-procurement software as well. And I think that that's something like Dustin mentioned that we have to start to recognize we should have a a say in, in, in trying to design that. Being able to demonstrate to our leadership how this is going to impact not only our own operations, but the the organization as a whole and how it's going to make everybody else's jobs easier. So I'm very fortunate. Luckily, my uh, leadership has recently approved the purchase of two procurement softwares. Um, One of them that we're using is replacing our current bid and vendor management system. We already had a software. Thankfully, we weren't (laughs) paper-based, but uh, just improving that experience so that we can take the staff we currently have and have them not so tied up in just creating an RFP itself. So we're utilizing a software that's more collaborative, that takes the information uh, that's entered, which it's like an intake form basically that they fill out and pulls it into a template that we've already supplied to the software company. So they uh, basically our end users or our procurement staff can go in, fill out a questionnaire or intake form and all the information we brought into that template and the um, the RFP or the IFB, whatever will be created. From there, it will then uh, take it to, uh, if it needs to go to evaluation, that can all be done electronically. And then from there, it pulls it all into your contract template and your contract template can then be routed through that system and approved and then uh, you know managed from a database standpoint. So trying to look for those types of solutions has been helpful for us. Um, and then we have another one that will completely transform our procurement process once we get that initiated. And that, in, that system is looking at a marketplace functionality and, and simplifying the requisition process to more of a, a online purchasing um, process from a consumer standpoint. So going in and utilizing some of you guys may have heard of, you know, punch out catalogs, but or a marketplace where your end user is going in and shopping like they do online, like they shop on Amazon. And that's their requisition process. And when they complete that requisition process, then they can do multiple vendors in one one sitting, create that requisition, turn it in. It becomes a purchase order, goes through the approval process you already have set up in your ERP. All of the information is then taken from the ERP or from that system and stored in the, in the ERP record. Um, and then it can go through and match your payments and your PO, I'm sorry, your invoices and your PO, as well as your receipts and get that ready for accounts payable to just pay. So just trying to simplify those processes so that our procurement staff is just focused on the exceptions. So we could work with the staff that we currently have because it's really hard to convince our, our leadership that we need additional staffing if we're not 
working as efficiently as possible with the staffing we currently have, right? We don't do a lot of RFBs. We only do RFBs for the strategic, um, those things that um, are under category management and those things that are of strategic importance to us. We use a lot of co-ops, um, and I have them on speed dial, really, uh -huh. because it saves us time, and it it, it is also helpful um, because there's so much data that we gather on uh, of those contracts that we're able to convince um, our leadership that um, we really don't need to go to an RFB process for every single thing we need to buy, especially if many uh, departments are buying the same items um, all the time. And so we use the co-ops for those and just focus on strategic procurement for the RFB process. Um, we do the same. We use a lot of cooperatives. I think sometimes a challenge with the cooperatives, the stakeholders here, oh, there's no competition, let's just get a cooperative. But it doesn't mean there's not still some t level of vetting involved to ensure that it's compatible and compliant with your practices. So sometimes um, I found in certain circumstances they can take a little bit longer than your RFB, um, but not always. So I think in certain instances they're a very good tool that we use. Um, and then to go back to just something that you were speaking out about looking internally or control changing the wheel instead of just you know running so quickly, um, that's. I, I feel like that's where I am right now, just at my current agency, um, because we have, we have a process. And so what I find is, depending on what stage in the process we're in, we have all these different technologies. So depending on who's touching it, there may be a different tool used just to get through the process. The one consistent one, obviously, is the financial, right, the financial system. But... Um, to start to just initiate an agreement and have some internal routing at the department level, there's a tool that's used, um, and then it'll get to procurement, and there's more tools that's used than to get an executed contract. There's another tool that's used, and then so we have all these different technologies, which it sounds good, but if you're not using it to for more than 5%, you know, what level are you using your technology? And to have so many, it just, I step back and I say, well, do we really need all these steps? Do we really mm. need all these touches, right? Mm. So that's where I'm looking at our processes now and asking staff, well, why? Mm. And they'll answer and I'll say, okay, but why? So I'm asking those types of questions and doing a lot of process mapping so mm -hmm. I can visualize it and then package it together and present it to my executive cabinet and say, okay, now I need you to understand what's happening and then here's where we can go and do you support me on that before we can start rolling it out to the agency? So that's where I'm at. Well, that's excellent. And you know, we've done tons of process mapping exercise and governance redesign. And, and just from doing that, I can tell you so much governance gets littered by a black swan from five years ago where this one thing happened. And then now Steve wants to see everyone, even though it was really the instances that happens is like five times out of like 10,000. And you know, I found the only way to make governance retreat is to be able to couch it in the perspective and a guiding principle around efficiency of the supply chain, the ability of the departments to actually execute their mission. And so that is a laudable goal. So, so we've gone through recruiting, retaining, some redesign. I'm let's talk a little bit about 
kind of dealing with surge and staff extension, and I have like three or four examples. So in terms of like ways to deal with surge, right, there's a few different things. There's temps, there is uh, return to hire kind of retirees, like I've seen that. There's, well, I mean, I would consider somebody full hybrid when everybody else isn't to be an effect of a surge, right? Because we're willing to change it for one. And then, um, you know, Jennifer, you know, you actually were wearing one of the very first people that we did the procurement as a service stuff that we're doing now with. And we started doing procurement as a service work when it came from ARPA because people were receiving a lot of money and the federal funds allowed you to use a certain percentage of the money towards getting the rest of the money out of the door. So we were doing, basically, I've got a set of people who can who can turn on and turn off based on their expertise. So it's a little different than just a pure temp in the sense that it's very project-based. And I'm sure there maybe there's some other something, so maybe, you know, sharing to another agency or something. So, you know, what, if anything, are you guys doing to deal with surge as you're trying to do some of this design and the rest? And if you already answered, you don't have to answer again, but, um, or anything new that you wanted to add in. How about Teresa? You haven't gone yet. Are, are you doing anything? Are you good with all the, the work that you have? Do you do any strategies around um, surge or temp or anything like that? We do use um, temp staff sometimes uh, my department doesn't really uh, we feel like to bring someone in temporarily um, and then um, having to you know they work six months and then we have to recruit we spend the time to really try to mm -hmm. bring someone in and train them up if we have to go that route so we don't use a lot of temp labor but um, there are some cases where uh, we need the expertise and we can't find that individual right away where we will go to a temp situation and try to bring in that expertise um, for a short period of time. Um, but it's not very common okay. on, on my campus. Yeah, I'll just say I'm in a situation now where like I said, I'm down about 50%. And so um, I went through the short-term process. I connected with Human Resources to find out what my options were while my positions were on the street. Most of the times the pools are very shallow, so I'm always hoping for quality versus quantity. The recruiting process takes a lot of time, so you can bring someone in and six, six to eight months later, you're still trying to, you know, whether you've got to get your hiring committee together and they have to be available, then you've got to go through background checks. And so all of these things take time, then it still has to go to the board, they got to give a two week notice. So um, the work doesn't stop, and so the short term, you know, although it's capped by hours per fiscal year, um, at Delta College, as long as they meet the MQs for the job spec, then there's not a process. So if you know someone in the field of procurement and they're looking for work part-time, you can tap into them. And so that's been an approach that's helped me immediately at my current employer. Um, and then the other approach that we've done, and this was at the city of Stockton, is we partnered with the local college and had an internship program and they were in school of business and, and or finance and they came in because purchasing is typically under finance department, right? And so um, based on the resumes, looked at their experience and then just introduced procurement to them and showed them all the various aspects of procurement and that's been a successful program as well through the um, partnering of internships at the local college. I think I pretty much answered the question as to what we're doing. Um, we're utilizing, you know, civic initiative services as of now. Um, I still have that employee who's working part-time for us <laughs> and uh, interns or student, student workers as well. 
but you know that that's been our approach this entire time okay okay well hey guys we're at time and i want to thank you for um you guys were great teresa you were pulled along and you, you hit it out of the park so thank you for joining at the end and let's give the panel a great hand here please <laughs>